Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. Okay, this week's guest is Peter McCann. He is the man behind this immortal classic, Do You Want to Make Love, which reached number five in 1977. That was his one and only hit. He put out two solo albums, and other people were recording his stuff and having a lot of success, and he decided he was much happier staying home and writing for other people and let them go out be the rock stars. In fact, that same year of 77, Jennifer Warnes had a number six hit with Right Time of the Night, which Peter also wrote. You probably know that song. She went on to have much bigger success about 10 years later when she sang I've Had the Time of My Life with Bill Medley for the Dirty Dancing soundtrack. Peter started out in the early 70s in a folk group called The Repairs. And get this, they were managed and discovered by Andrew Lug Oldham. Now, Oldham discovered and managed the Rolling Stones. He got them a deal with Motown Records of all places. And of course, Motown had no idea what to do with them. So after a couple albums, they dropped them. Peter went solo. He did his two albums, decided he didn't want to be a frontman anymore, stayed home and wrote songs that were then being recorded by a lot of those great country artists of that era, like the Oak Ridge Boys, Janie Fricky, KT Oslin, Kenny Rogers. He was content to do that. Really fascinating guy. I love it when people decide early on what they're comfortable with and they stay in their lane and they reap the satisfaction of having done that. I love that. So some really interesting points of interest in this interview. Number one, one of his songs ended up on Whitney Houston's debut album, which went on to sell like 25, 30 million copies. It's amazing. Another bit of interest is he tells a really fascinating story about how a song of his was almost included in National Lampoon's Vacation, the Chevy Chase movie. Very interesting stuff. And these were experiences that changed his life financially as well. I really like talking to Peter. I hope you like it too. He called me from his home in Nashville. Have you ever done a podcast before? Do you no, know what I they haven't. are? I haven't. You've you've uh, you've dragged me kicking and screaming into the 20th century. You know, I <laughs> I'm very pleased to do this. I'm uh, oh good. I, I am not a a social media guy. I'm not on yeah. uh, uh, Twitter or whatever. I basically do not have a cell phone. Yeah, uh, I communicate mostly through emails and stuff like that. So, so right. this is this is very exciting. You know. Well, good. So I started this thing a year ago. I wanted to hear the stories of the artists that I love that don't get told as often. And I thought, where, where are the people that I love? Where are they now? You know, the ones I grew up on. But not just where are they now, but it's kind of like this is your life too. Right. I want to kind of honor them, but then I also want to know where they went and. As sensitively as possible, I, I try to cover some of the money side of this. You know, for instance, I'll give you an example. You, someone you probably know. I had our very first episode last year was with Bruce Blackman of Starbuck, uh -huh. and they had that huge hit, "Moonlight Feels Right." Yeah. And I thought, you know, regular people don't know this. So, what kind of a life does one hit in 1975 provide you for the rest of your life? How do you pay your bills from that point forward? And in his case, I, I'm learning that a lot of it comes down to points and whether you produced it and wrote it and sang it, arranged it, and you get, you know, points for all that stuff. Sure. But in his case, he has been able to live a fairly upscale life ever since. He's also started a lot of businesses. But I just think that kind of a thing, that's really interesting to me. People don't know that part, you know. 
you know, do you want to make love? We did very well on that. I mean, I'm definitely in the one-hit wonder books, but I'm loving to be there. People will laugh at that, but I like being there because I, I found out how hard it is to get even yeah. one hit. But fortunately, I mean, and we did very well uh, internationally with that. We did. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were number one in South Africa, in New Zealand. Wow. We were top ten in Australia. We did very well in Canada. We did very well in pretty well in Europe, not really, really well in English-speaking countries. Okay. Uh, and, of course, we did. We had the gold record here in the United States. But to me, that was all, you know, it was a big deal at the time. I mean, you go on and you do, you know, American Bandstand with Dick Clark. I, I grew up with, you know, it's like that's uh, uh, that was for me was really astounding, and that's the sure. first one I got to do. And yeah. they actually picked the song. They picked me to come in and tape it when the song was in the 80s on the chart. It was very oh, low right. on the charts. And I, I was kind of amazed. I said, you, you do this when it's uh-huh. in the 80s? And they said, we think this is going to be a big hit, so we're taping just in case. Oh, and, and so it worked out that way. But they had the belief in it. But around that time, and I, I'm writing other songs. I'm writing mm-hmm. songs like The Right Time of the Night. about everything I was writing at that time and Right Time of the Night came first. It was the one that got piqued their interest in uh, like the, oh, the record label. Okay. Saying, okay, well, you know, the kid can write, he can also sing, why don't we put out a record with him? So yeah. it was very lucky and very based on, on that. Uh, so yeah. there, are, there are other songs and there are other situations which I didn't have to rely on just the one song to provide yeah. a living, you know. Right. Well, and that's kind of the thing that I'm finding about you, and it's this is why this is one of those connect the dots moments that I think is really interesting for listeners too. Anyone familiar with that song, and then who never heard from you again, wouldn't know that you've gone on to be a successful staff writer ever since, basically, and that you've probably written and contributed to songs that regular people know and have no idea that you are in the mixture somewhere. That's why I find your story especially fascinating, you know? Well, it was the writing that was, you know, I really loved doing that. And mm-hmm. uh, the reason why I, I, I was signed to uh, several record labels, but I would not tour. And, Yo, really? Uh, they, why? You well, because I was making more money uh, in yeah. my living room writing songs <laughs> than I would have on the road. And sure. plus, I was getting to do... Uh, well, at least at that time, a, a lot of television where all of a sudden you're performing mm. in front of maybe 10 million people at a shot if you do the Murray yeah. Griffin show. As well. Or if, if you did the shows that were uh, that were on at that time, you were generating a lot of sales basically by by just doing that. And sure. the, the whole touring thing, you know, I watched people do that and I didn't like it because when you're starting out, you basically have to borrow money to do it. You go into yeah. the hole to do it, and then you're playing as an opening act for people, 
And right. it's a very hard thing to build up a relationship with the general public by doing that. And Unbelievable. frankly, I'm lazy. And it was easier <laughs> it was easier for me to stay home and write songs and be my you know, on my own time, if you know what uh-huh. I mean, to set my own hours to do that. And lots of people were recording my songs, so I just May didn't well. see the point in that, you know. Yeah. I mean, if, if we had put something else out and I know Columbia Records tried very, very hard to put a follow-up single out after I switched labels and went over there. But uh-huh. we really didn't have that much luck with it. And huh. a lot of that had to do with I was giving maybe some of my best songs away to other people at the time. But there was no lack of people recording uh, my songs. And, no kidding. Uh, I was very lucky with that. And so we yeah. were on a whole bunch of albums that sold a lot of copies. And at that time, you actually got paid for that. So I want to kind of flesh this out a little more. I don't always start from the beginning, but in your case, I think it's interesting to do that. And i got to tell you, the reason I got tipped off to you in the first place was because last fall I interviewed Walter Egan. He mentioned you because his cousin Jim was in your band, The Repairs, back That's in the correct. day. Yeah. I hadn't thought about Do You Want to Make Love for a long time. And when he mentioned that, I thought, That's right. That's a great song. I wonder where Peter McCann is. And then a a listener of mine named Howard Coxwell contacted me shortly after that. I always throw it out to my listeners if there's anyone that they miss and haven't heard for a long time to let me know, and then I'll research it and try and get them on. And it was Howard who mentioned you as well. I couldn't find you. And it's because of, like you were saying, your absence from social media. I didn't see you on Facebook or a web page or anything. And Howard John. I'm very, sure it is. I'm sure it is. At this stage, anyone who's not on that stuff, even older people, no yeah. offense, are are not on it on purpose. They don't want to be on there. But he had found that you had given a speech here last year or you had given a Christmas concert there or maybe try those people. Anyway, it came around to Janie Harris. He said, maybe try them. So that's how we found you. But anyway... The repairs have an interesting story because you're signed to Motown and you're basically like the fifth dimension. I mean, well, we were more like Crosby, Stills, and Nash, but yeah. Should I measure my life in years or in happiness and in fears that I feel are not worth fearing anymore? I wonder if the world really knows if it's Sunday falling day by day and right in a tyranny of time as the years do We're not sure why we were on the label, but Andrew Oldham, the producer of the Rolling Stones, wanted it to produce us, and he picked the label. And I got to tell you, really? we're like we're like six months out of college, and we've got uh, you know he offered the producer of the Rolling Stones offers us a deal on a major no label, way. and we said, yes, sure, we'll do that. You know, right. So that's a series of events. He discovered you and brought you to Motown. Boy, none of those things you would think would ever, you know, cross-pollinate, but I guess they did. That's incredible. We were in Connecticut at the time, and in that area in New England, we had built up a following, uh, and uh, I was writing songs, or, or several of us were writing songs, 
uh, I don't think my songs were were that good at all when I look back at it now, but they seemed good at the time. Uh-huh. Well, the band broke up after we lost the Motown deal. We did two albums for them. Yep. And we lost the Motown deal, and, and Andrew kind of lost interest in his two. And so we decided to move from Connecticut to Los Angeles to try to find another record deal. And uh, we had been kind of big fish in a small pond in New mm. England. Out in L.A., we were like a tiny little fish in a... Right. An enormous, an enormous pond right. full of really talented people. We we couldn't find another record deal. Sure. Although I I did find uh, uh, I did find the the idea that you could write songs for, be under contract, mm-hmm. write some songs, and be a staff writer. And yeah. I I really that's the job I really fell into and really loved because the people who were there at the company I signed with ABC. ABC uh-huh. had a had uh, ABC Dunhill Records, and this is the network, and they had the publishing company. And I signed with them, and they were immediately trying to help me write better songs. And, oh, man. And they were actually really good at this, like college professors. They say, yeah. those that can't do, teach, you know. Sure, and, sure. Uh, those that can't teach, teach gym. That was, uh-huh. no, that was Woody Allen's line. I can't. But, I know, but I love the, that. <laughs> but, but no, they really. Uh, it was really an interesting point in time for me because uh, you you wouldn't think that there would be schools for this kind of thing, but that was actually like going to a master's class in in how to actually put the song together. And what they did was very patiently not try to tell me what to write or anything like that, but try, they uh-huh. were telling me you're making a mistake here. And then they'd point out why it was, and I oh, gradually, I gradually became to understand what the song ought to look like from start yeah. to finish. And I had never, you know, I may have done it by accident, but not well enough through, you know, the melody and the lyrics and the whole yeah. thing. But anyway, it was kind of like an education. And after a year of being signed to them, I wrote "Right Time of the Night," which they wow. were very happy with. Yeah, yeah. Did Motown even know what to do with you? I mean, I'm I'm trying to envision. I don't know too many other white acts, especially I mean, white acts that are not soul or R&B based acts I, that they would have had. Did they even know, or were they sort of? Did they see Andrew Lugoldum's name and think, well, this guy's huge, the Stones I, are huge? I think basically that's what it was. I, I think that they okay. Andrew bought that they did have a label called the Rare Earth label. Uh, oh. The band Rare Earth was, you know, had a, had hits, and, and they yeah. were signed to Motown. Motown didn't want to put them on Motown, so they created a label f- just for white people. And, okay. And it was the Rare Earth label, and th- we were on that basically that subsidiary of Motown. But you're actually signed okay. to Motown when you do that. But yeah. No, uh, we couldn't figure it out. Somehow or other, Andrew thought it was a good connection, and we were just not in a position to argue with this yeah, guy. He right. had produced and managed the Rolling Stones for their first 12 or 14 albums or something like that, and actually right. had a lot to do with putting the band together uh, mm-hmm. in the very beginning. So we were, we just kind of were ready to follow his lead. We were we were pretty young, and we didn't know yeah. much, and, and it turns out we didn't know this, but he was only maybe four or five years older than we were. Really? He had a beard. Oh, no, he had worked for a Brian Epstein when he was like 18 years old in England yeah. doing, doing the original promotion on the Beatles. The guy was legendary. Yeah. We kind of went along with whatever he was saying. Sure, <laughs> of course. You would know, right? Yeah, that's He's a legend. Right. Yeah. Wow. I'm just trying to envision you and the other white bandmates in your group, the repairs, hanging out with Marvin Gaye. 
No. Were you ever in the Motown offices and oh, Martha yeah, Reeves in, or in Detroit? In, yeah. In, in Detroit, yeah, I went up there to do some work. I, I may have been the only one of the band members who ever went up there because I huh. was doing. Uh, I went up there to do uh, uh, string things with the Detroit Symphony for uh, some one of Andrew's other projects. Okay. And I was kind of like the leader of the band. He was taking me up there to meet people. Never met Barry Gordy. I think really? he was to, I don't know whether he was trying to keep us away from Barry Gordy because Gordy walked in on a listening session and just stared at what was going on and just kind of shook his head and walked out. He had no idea what the heck yeah, we were doing on probably. that label. <laughs> I could imagine that, yeah. Oh, fascinating. So you didn't really ever, you weren't rubbing shoulders with any of those guys, the Stevie Wonders and the Smokey uh, Robinsons necessarily uh, back in the day? Met James Jameson there. He was the bass uh, player who played yep. on all that stuff. And mm-hmm. that was that was just luck to meet him and mm-hmm. uh, to talk to him for a little while, while because okay. I was really familiar with the Motown stuff. I had grown sure. up on it. Loved the music. And when uh, uh, people like Isaac Hayes and, and Whitney Houston recorded my songs, I felt like I was a little bit closer to R&B. Mm-hmm. You know? So mm-hmm. that was that Well, was a good a song is a good song. I mean, Whitney Houston is going to put her spin on your stuff just like, the Oak Ridge Boys put their spin on your stuff. You know, That's a good correct. song can transcend genres no matter what. Yeah, it does. Yeah. And we had, let's see, Do You Want to Make Love was a hit for me in pop uh, uh, for Isaac Hayes in, on our, in the R&B charts. Occasionally works out. Sometimes a love rhyme that fills the afternoon But they lose all their meaning with the rising moon Then just hold me Tell me The words you say are true Have you ever known me to laugh? Answer the question That I ask of you What you want to know? Do you want to make love? Damn right! Do you just want to fool around? I'll answer that some other time it will bring you down if you try for yourself. Wait, I want to ask you something. Why? Do you want to make love? Most of the time. Or do you just want to fool around? Sometimes it doesn't work. You can take it seriously. Or what? Or you can take it somewhere else. Now, let me think about it. Buck Owens recorded Do You Want to Make Love. Really? Yeah, we have Isaac Hayes and Buck Owens. You know, <laughs> wow. There were How often three, is that going to happen? Yeah, Man. Three are, let's see, let's see, Dermot Brown, Helen Cornelius, and Buck Owens, and uh, a guy named David Wills, who's a really good songwriter. Huh. There were several records of Do You Want to Make Love in the Country thing as well. I would yeah, have loved if one of those had gone to the top five or something, then I would have had a hit with yeah. three different artists on the same song uh, uh, on all three charts. But I'll take two out of three. Still, I'll take that. that is amazing. Okay, you know, the repairs don't happen. They break up. You become the solo artist. Really probably, like you were saying, more of the staff songwriter, too. Or which one were they pushing more? Did you, was it like, Peter McCann is our new great artist. Oh, and he writes songs, too, and those can be given to other no, people? No, it was the other way around. He's, okay, he's, that's what I'm wondering. They were touting me as a good songwriter who could also sing. Okay. So it was ABC and the people who were working there at the time 
who really made the connection with the uh, 20th Century Fox records, as that's where okay. we had uh, that's where we had Do You Want to Make Love. So yeah. no, that was it. The basic interest started because of the songwriting, and then it okay. got up to the point where I could actually carry a tune. That's and right. And they said, let's 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 put the song out with with the kid. They liked what the demo sounded like, and so we just went in and recreated that with a little more money behind it. Okay. Now you got to tell us the story behind the song. I mean, it's Which, a famous song uh, around uh, Do You Want to Make Love? Because, okay. as you know, it's got the deceptive title. You think it's something kind of kinky, and it's absolutely well, the totally opposite of that. It's a beautiful song. you got to tell us a little bit about where that came from. Well, it was a, let's see, it was a casual conversation with a girl at the bar at uh, the Troubadour out in L.A., Huh. And she had been talking to this other guy, and then we got talking, and she goes, he doesn't want to make love. He just wants to fool around. And I always tried to find her. I, you know, She didn't exactly say the title, or she didn't exactly use exactly those words, but that was just a bit. You know, what I understood, because she was like looking for a serious relationship. And, uh-huh. of course, she was getting a lot of offers for, for one-night stands. But it was a, I thought the comment was you know, a, a very interesting one about the difference between, you know, uh, real love and totally. not. And then when we we had a hit with the record, we we, have, we find out that people in certain parts of the country were only listening to the first couple of lines of the chorus. They misunderstood <laughs> the song completely. Right. And, and uh, they were burning the records, let's see, in Fargo <laughs> and in Dubuque. Uh, and they, the church ladies were calling the radio station saying, don't you dare play that. Yeah, what is this, Bill? Yeah, but they did. They weren't listening to what the whole word is. But course, at any yeah. rate, I got, I got upset about that, and I called my manager. I said, Hal, they're, they're, they're burning the record. He goes, he, goes, he goes, that's great. I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, before they, before they burn them, they have to buy them. You know, so you know, so then it's I a win-win for you, right? Yeah, okay. If you sell a million copies and, and, and half a million of them were later burned, I'm uh-huh. okay with that. Whatever, <laughs> whatever, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't affect a, my bank account. Yeah, it's a sideways way to get <laughs> right. a gold record, but I'm right. going to go with that. Right, you know? good, right yeah. on. Huh. Now, you know, one of the things that I think is interesting about that song, and you mentioning that the that the – title or the idea came from a woman, don't you think part of what's unique or, or sort of magical about that song is that it's a man singing those things, well, a man who's typically a misogynist or whatever, and you're yeah. this sweet guy singing a very is, sweet thought? Well, I guess I showed my sensitive side a little early on the sure. cultural curve, but on the other hand, to be perfectly honest, I thought Right Time of the Night was for a guy to sing, and, and Do You Want to Make Love was for uh, a woman to sing. Yeah, that, you, was totally, that makes sense. That was totally the way I heard them, particularly when I'm writing them. Uh, yeah. Now, if other people are going to say, okay, you know, maybe it was odd, maybe maybe they were hits because it went the opposite way. Because mm-hmm. the woman sounded a little cheeky with, True. Uh, with uh, hey, it's, come on, you know, yeah. You and me, you know, it's that time. And it's yeah. the right time of the night. And and maybe the other way around where that uh you know, the guy saying, Please don't hurt me too bad. Sure, I, sure. <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> Let's get serious here. That's We're not correct. playing around. Yeah, That's it's right. not a, like so a guy to say that. We have been try been trying for years to get uh, a remake of uh Right Time of the Night with a male singing it. And I've been trying for huh. years to to get a remake of Do You Wanna Make Love with a Woman singing it. And we just can't seem to pull that off. That's incredible. 
Now, one thing I'm curious about, and I I was a kid. I mean, I'm I was four when the when your song was big. So forgive me if I don't know all the details. And as you said, there's not a ton of information about you out there anyway. Was there even a follow up single? Was Right Time of the Night was like was that like the second single released off your Peter McCann album? No, or, we never did release that one. Uh, that Jennifer's had been already been a hit. So okay, uh, okay, we weren't going to do that. And okay. Yeah, I, I didn't know which came first. Yeah, I rewrote the second verse for her, for a woman to sing. I won't even tell you what the, the second verse of my original one was. You can find <laughs> it, but uh, it was it, it next to the one I eventually came up with. It sounded pretty dumb. This was a total outgrowth of the songwriting. Once I had found out a better way to do it than I had uh, known before, I became really obsessed with it. It's like a... Yeah. I wrote a whole lot of songs, and a whole lot of them were being cut by people. Once you have a hit, they start going, you know, hey, maybe he's got something there. And if you have yeah. two, two in a row as quickly as I did at that point, they were about six months apart right. in 1977. And they go, oh, my, you know, some people were recording very bad songs of mine that, mm-hmm. that I didn't think were that good, but it had my name on it, and I was sure. hot. They're when capitalizing. You're hot, you're hot, you know. Well, so uh, so going back to that same line of thinking, though, was there never a big push then for a follow-up single? Well, because we did, it's like, well, Peter McCann's a name. We just hit number five. Yeah, Let's get I another think, Peter McCann song out there. Well, they put one out, and it didn't. Twentieth put one out, oh. and it did not do very well. And then I moved over to CBS, and then I was like a very very small fish in a very big pond of of artists at, CB, at Columbia Records. You know, they had yeah, sure. Great, I didn't get much attention there. Number one, but number two, there might have been a couple of songs on that album that that could have been hits as a follow up. But whether they got the promotion, I know that they released uh-huh. them. There's one song called "Just One Woman." on YouTube. We didn't exactly make a a video, but that uh, Just One Woman of the CBS uh, Records version of that is on there. I always liked it, uh, and they did put it out, but and we did, I think it charted way down low on the charts. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it never really caught on. Maybe maybe I should have toured. I don't know. But I Uh, I was very content with what was yeah. going on, even Why though bother? the records... Yeah. No, the the writing to me was much more important than yeah. the okay. recording thing, and a lot less trouble. Sure. I had a hit, I got to deal with the general public for for about a year and a half or so, and some of it isn't pretty. You know? Yeah, I believe it. <laughs> I believe it, yeah. Okay. Okay, so yeah, so the Just One Woman, that's on your second album, which, and here's the deal, Peter, I... I'm having a hell of a time even finding your music. 
because right, well. it's not on CD, it's not on iTunes or Spotify. I haven't downloaded music in a really long time, but I, I managed to find your first album, forgive me, but I didn't know how else I could even, I try to at least listen to all of my guests' music before they come on. Right. And with yours, I was, it was, I was limited. I've heard your first album a few times because I was able to find that out there, but um, that's it. And, and some of the repair stuff is on YouTube, but yes. yeah, it's been difficult to find. Why is that? Did your stuff ever make it to CD? Only in compilation records like hits yeah. in the seventies and stuff. That's like what that. I thought. Uh, we did uh, uh, we did get quite a few of those for both of our time sure. and I, you and I club. But I yeah, I only had the one hit. So yeah. finding that kind of stuff, uh, I mean, you can easily find the songs that I wrote for other people that were on major albums and so forth. But it's like mm, I can't help it. it it's yeah. like. I I I really not the kind of guy who goes out there and tries to, uh, other than the the way that it usually gets done, like the publisher will right. uh, get you on those uh, uh, compilation records and the Time Life collections and all of those things. And the uh, right time of the night, you want to make love, show up on those all the time. Nobody falls like a fool and. Uh, uh, she's single again, which were country hits that I had. They show up on those things. Mm-hmm. The idea, it's like when, especially when we got into the mid-80s, that I was going to continue as being trying right. to be a recording artist, that had no uh, traction yeah. with me, let alone right. with anybody else. You okay. know? Because Sounds I, like an afterthought. You well, weren't really ever focused too heavily on your own solo career. You were, not really. No, yeah. I, I, I liked working with the band. Had yeah. it remained a band situation, that might have been a, a different thing. Say if Repairs okay. had a big hit or something like that. Sure. Because I, I did enjoy working with the band. And when you're up there and you've got musicians who are working with you, but if you're and they may be good friends and everything like that, but it, it, it kind of misses the whole thing without the harmonies and the yeah. the joint effort of, of coming up out of college and, and living the life of the band thing, right. which I actually right. kind of enjoyed. And, and, and that supported us. For you know, like four or five years before any one of us in the band could have any other success. Larry Treadwell, the guitar player, went on to be in a band named Sumner, and uh, okay. they, won Gra- they won a Grammy at one point. Oh, uh, interesting! Kind of like wow. a jazz okay. fusion thing. Yeah. So uh, the drummer went on to drum for uh, for several people. Uh, you know, we all kind of went our separate ways and had 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 a lot of fun with it. You know. Good. Uh, Good. I am, you know, I'd rather write a song than go out there and sing it. I hate performing live. I don't <laughs> like it. Wow. Uh, I get the flop sweat every time, even sure. if it's a song that I have sung uh, a million times, because I yeah. just don't have that, that what do you call it, that urge yeah. to be that up in front spot. of a crowd. Yeah, front, right. I do not need the applause. I'm very happy when they do, because I play yeah. out in Nashville here I'll play benefits I'll do a I'll do a performance every once in a while and I always have fun doing it and the people love it uh but it's uh, it's it's kind of rare and that's the way I like it <laughs> yeah yeah sounds like it so your solo career which you were only sort of half committed to in the first place kind of dies out before the 80s even happened two albums and you're done and it, from then on it sounds like based on what I can find it looks like a lot of country artists are recording your stuff. And that was a really, I think, kind of a golden age of country music because I think of it as the hee-haw generation <laughs> where it was, you know, it wasn't so, um, 
you know, you were getting like the Gatlin brothers and the Oak Ridge boys and Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton. These people are having pop hits. You know, they're having a song or two that's that's crossing over into the pop charts, which wasn't, you know, it's not in its own segment over here. It's kind of bleeding over. It sounds like you're sort of indulged. You're having a lot of success from that, those kinds of records, right? Well, like with Eddie Rabbit, those kind of things. It's actually the reason why I moved from, from L.A. to Nashville, because I started getting a lot more records in Nashville than I was getting, yeah, getting like a record a yeah. week. And uh, you have to remember that uh, right time of the night, Jennifer's record crossed over from pop into country. On, it was on the country chart, oh, and it did very well. And and so people were trying to figure out, is this kid writing pop or is he writing country? Because yeah. they couldn't really discern. The same songs that were getting cut in pop, for example, would get cut in country. Lynn Anderson did an absolutely fabulous version of Right Time of the Night. And uh, like I say, Do You Want to Make Love got covered by all these people. Uh-huh. So the songs that I thought were were pop songs were all of a sudden getting cut in droves in Nashville by people like Crystal Gale and Kenny Rogers and Ann Murray. Uh, yeah. the, the the biggest stars in country music at the time were recording my songs. Yeah. My publisher was very pleased, but as confused about this as I was. And when I went to Nashville, I I found, well, it was like it was like a, you know. Uh, uh, putting a lot of sugar in a petri dish with, you uh-huh. know, as I think, uh, uh, you know, it was. I found all these wonderful writers down uh, in Nashville who were yeah. willing. They were willing to co-write with me, and uh, I just uh, couldn't. I, it was difficult for me to go back to L.A. the first time. Sure, and it's Why? when I started seriously thinking of of moving to Nashville just to be closer yeah. to the whole creative thing. It was. Uh, you know, I, I was into songs, and these people yeah. were definitely into writing your songs. Yeah, oh, they were they were wonderful writers. Richard Lee yeah. wrote "Don't It Make My Brown Eyes Blue," and sure, and Holyfield who wrote uh, "Could I Have This Dance for the Rest of My Life." Yeah, those were the that days. Became the yeah. big pop. These were songs that were also crossing over into pop. Yep. Yep. So I had a lot of co- in common with uh, some of these wonderful writers down here. I could give you a list, and they were signed. The first. Ten were signed to the same publisher as I was signed to. Oh, I didn't have to walk out of that building in, yeah. in, in Nashville to find a good co-write on any given day oh, of the goodness. week. You know? Oh, good. So I think wow. I used to write about 25, 20 songs a year, twenty-five. And the first year I stayed in t- and just moved to Nashville, I wrote something like sixty songs, oh. which which is a lot. Uh, but yeah. it was like, like I say, it was like being in a it was like being in a penny candy store when you were a kid. And right. you, somebody just gave you ten bucks. You know, <laughs> you're, you're, love you're, that. You know, it's it's yeah. just like you, you you just you just have a trouble making up your mind. But there's yeah. so much available. So it was really actually that was kind of a reinvigoration of everything I'd been doing Good. writing. Uh, and I finally I worked here in the early 80s off and on and then moved actually moved in 1985 so it's been okay. you know it's been 30 years and boy I do wow. not regret any of that I still write down here and uh have written with some of those people I was mentioning re- recently or the people who were at CBS yeah. and I uh, I just love being here yeah. it's, it's, you've, you've it's, made it it's a great community here and the That's writers great. all you know there's well, I don't want to say the difference between L.A., but down here, they uh, everybody kind of the writers kind of like each other, and it's sure. not, 
it is a competition, but it's the friendliest kind of competition I've ever seen. Right, right. And if somebody does well and has some success, everybody pats them on the back. And there's, there's very little envy because they know how hard it is to do that. Yeah. So, uh, but it's well, uh, and it seems to me like Nashville, in a lot of ways, is the new L.A. in terms of the music industry. I always hear about all those session musicians who made livings. You know, you're a, not a session songwriter, but you're you're in a on an assembly line writing s- successful songs. And there's a whole other industry of musicians who are making good livings performing on those songs, and it all that'll dry it up. You know, there's just not that kind of money well, to support that kind of well, stuff. So a lot of them move to Nashville. That's what I'm hearing. It's because of the internet. And, yeah, well, uh, it is. Yeah. In other words, you used to like a. Uh, I was one of the biggest financial things that ever happened to me in my career was to get on Whitney Houston's first album. That's my next uh, question. We're up to for about you, yeah. 30, 30 million sales on that. Goodness. In the days uh, that was in the days before the internet. Yeah. If that same record came out now, it, it might sell. Maybe a couple of a million uh, copies, it's that. but you would the singles would have been bought through iTunes. Yeah, and of course you would get paid on that. There's no question. But to be, uh, for example, the song I had on Whitney Houston's uh, album "Take Good Care of My Heart," it was a duet with Jermaine Jackson. Yeah. that song uh, was never released as a single, but no. being just being on the album. Uh, yeah. Was was a major factor, and I was on a lot of albums. Not not anything that sold anywhere near that, but ones right. that were four or five platinum, double platinum albums. I yeah. was on a lot of those, and that part uh, sustained the career. Being paid for that uh, yeah. sustained uh, my career. Uh, I don't think I could have done it without that. To have done nothing else but write songs for 45 years. Right. Uh, right. That was a major part of it. Yes, the hits are on the radio. Right Time of the Night got used in a couple of major movies. Right. And those every time those movies run on cable, there's a royalty. And my favorite is I wrote a song for in 1983 for the Chevy Chase uh, Vacation movie. You did? Yes. Well, it was called uh, Summer Hearts. It's it's on the. uh, it's on the it's on the soundtrack album uh, with Nicolette Larson singing it, but it did not make it into the movie. Right? Oh, we yeah, got, I was going to say got, that doesn't even sound familiar. I've no, seen that we, movie a million times. We got beat out by uh, Lindsey Buckingham with the sure. Holiday Highway at the end of the song. Holiday we Road, yeah. Get, we were going to get the sensitive love song, and he got the hit. So, but lucky for me because the people who were scoring the film, okay. Uh-huh. Thought, they thought that it was going to be the end title, so they scored about a minute and a half of the song, the melody of the song, oh. under the scene where Christy Brinkley is swimming naked in the pool. So, you know, my music is <laughs> under that, and who wouldn't want to be under Christy Brinkley? I don't know. <laughs> so, but that scene has been licensed over and over again for uh, commercials and all kinds sure. of pieces. Every time they use it, they have to pay us. Uh, they have to pay us uh, no for, for for the sync, you know, to to buy out the sync fee for that. Uh, yes. So, yeah, I mean, I, oh. I, Nicolette's. I'll uh, I, I'll have your email. I'll send you Nicolette singing uh, "Summer Hearts." Oh, I would love Absolutely that. Absolutely beautiful song that I wrote with Terry Please. Hansen. You were my first heartbreak, lost love. Summer hearts are made that way. I knew just when I had fallen for you. I knew 
We thought we were going to be in this movie, and everybody sure. was excited about the movie, and we were not. However, oh. we managed to score sideways for, you know. <laughs> That's it, incredible. It's, it's, well, it's and you, yeah, it's, you it's get a, a little something, that, don't you, every time it's played, and it's played all the time, oh, no, right? Uh, when they license it, it's yes for, uh, yes, for the for the movie being played, yes. But yeah. when they license it for a... Uh, uh, you know, for a commercial or something like yeah. that, for commercial yeah. use, you, you get more than just oh, what we goodness. would get. You get that's a lot. Incredible. More. So no, uh, that's been uh, that's been a really uh, that's been a, a oh, real money maker for, for us. Since I think it's been licensed probably about a dozen times by major, oh. for major commercials and stuff. Sure. Because Christy Brinkley could still do that commercial. Oh today. no, kidding! Oh, she goodness. did one for Directv, and that that was a really good. Uh, uh, oh wow! That was really nice. But yeah. the the idea is because she still looks. Yep. She still looks just as good as she did when she was swimming there. She I'm sure, sure does. Be, I'm sure she'd kiss me full on the mouth for saying that, <laughs> and I'm looking for that opportunity anytime I can. Run well, I'm sure she's that. a listener of this podcast. She'll track Absol- you down absolutely. after this, yes, after this comes out, for sure. She, yeah. she now knows that I'm totally a fan. Okay. And, and just I'll throw it out there that I'm a fan, too, in case okay. that matters, and she wants to kiss <laughs> me, too. Um, okay, so we got to talk about how your life changed with Whitney Houston. That's where, that was going to be my next question. I mean, you're having success, and I imagine you're you're living pretty good. I mean, you're having all these people record your stuff. I mean, you're not hurting at all. But then it probably goes into the stratosphere when Whitney Houston records your song. We should well, say, take good care of my heart. Like you said, it's not a single, but that thing sells so much. You're getting pieces of that every time, right? Oh, sure, yes. And How did your we, life change? Well, I, I don't know. With it, just at the same time, you know, I was having, you know, I was having country hits in Nashville. There was money coming from several directions. I don't know. We always used to talk. My friends out in L.A. said, we don't want to make a living. We want to make a killing. Mm. And during that time, with the records that were selling, plus the 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 royalties from uh, radio play and stuff like that we were everything was going very well that's all I'll say it was, it was okay. like uh there was a lot uh, coming in and it was like a heyday that's great and yeah. they, uh, Julio Iglesias you know cuts the song we don't get on the album you can buy it now as a as a bonus track if you buy it off the internet but uh-huh. as a as as a consolation prize they they gave us the b side of to all the girls i've loved before all over oh, the world boy. 
Like that hour, their single sold like five million copies. Right? Whoa. We, we, were, we got paid just as much as yeah. the people who were on the side A of that old uh. vinyl record. Oh, I got a copy of that with the uh, the picture of, of Willie and yeah. Nelson and Julio, and Julio is wearing a red bandana. <laughs> is he really? <laughs> yeah, on the on the old. It's like the slide cover for the single. You know, in oh, those that's days great. Of, of vinyl singles. You know? Yeah. But, <laughs> Wow. Oh, this is fascinating. I had no idea about all this stuff. Well, that's cool. Okay, so this, I mean, this has been your life for 30 years, successfully singing songs, or writing songs. I mean, 40. Well, yeah, yeah. I was thinking of 30 specifically in Nashville, but yeah, Yeah. going back 40, 45 years. Add on another seven for, uh, you know, for, well, I guess I got to L.A. in 1974. And okay. Had, and finally got something happening in 1977. So. Oh man. In the early part of 1977. So it was like, they go, boy, you were lucky. I said, yeah. It the harder I worked, it seemed the luckier I got. You know? <laughs> right. And yeah. I was really, I was so focused on writing songs, and I still can get that kind of focus, even my uh-huh. old age now. I can still get in. Th- people laugh at me because I get so enthusiastic. I'll start jumping around the room if it's if it's a really good idea and the song is going very well. I get really I get excited sure. like like I did when I was uh, twenty five. Oh, incredible, incredible. No, it's it's a great feeling. It's it's the creative part of it because I've write, I've written a lot of songs which I thought could have been hits, but we just couldn't get it going with them. Ah, I was just excited over writing those as I was over writing the songs that were hits uh, uh it's the creative process to me which is the most fun you know uh, yeah. uh, other than opening the checks when they come in the mail no <laughs> the creative process is it's all is, fun yeah oh, it's it's a wonderful for me it's just uh it's a wonderful feeling uh when good. you're writing something and you know it's good yeah. You know, you know it's good, and it, it's uh, you know, uh, it's it's just a great feeling. Yeah, uh, I can't I can't explain it. And people know I don't care what uh, profession they're in when they're doing something professionally, and they're mm-hmm. they're they're in the zone, yeah. whatever that might be. Yeah, you know, they know it, they feel it, and I'm sure yeah. they get the same kind of feeling. Everybody does. Yeah, no matter what kind of work you do, that's very true. So let me ask you this. I mean, this is something that's come up before with other professional songwriters I've talked to on the podcast. It, I mean, in this day and age, I, does it ever, is your enthusiasm for what you're writing ever, and maybe this is just my, maybe I'm being way too practical about this, but is your enthusiasm ever tempered with the idea that, well, it, it, it's not, nothing gets as big as it used to, and who knows if this is really, you know, if, if a hit today is different than a hit back then was, if it's reaching fewer people and it's less likely. Well, uh, no, I, it's, you're I, just as feeling just as good. I understand what you're saying, but 
one of the things that I will say is I'm glad I'm not 30 anymore. Because yeah. my career, especially the, 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 the meaty part of it, came at the time when, you know, you, everything, you got paid for everything you did. Mm-hmm. I got paid for being an artist. I got paid for writing songs for other people. Mm-hmm. They were on albums that sold, and you actually got paid for pretty much every one. I cannot complain at all because it seemed just as my career was waning, so was the rest of the industry. Yeah. And the, the, the idea that writers coming up now, I wish I could tell them, you know, like, you know, like people say, oh, I had it hard in the old days. We had to, or we had to walk to school 10 miles. Right. I'd like to be able to say that, but I look at them now and I say, I got to say that I had it easy in the sense yeah. of that if you did well, you were going to get paid. And that's still true. There's no question about it. You can still make money off of the iTunes single. Uh-huh. You're still going to get basically the same royalty off of that. And there are some people who are actually selling albums. And if you're on okay. one of those, you can do well. But uh, there's a lot less uh, staff writing jobs available in Nashville right now. In yeah. other words, there, there, there's people who aren't going to get the chance. Yeah. And that's the thing that bothers me. That right. there's there's a good writer out there who was just shy of writing their first hit, and the publisher uh, drops them, ends the contracts, not going to pay them anymore, and they have to go work at some other job. Uh, kind of, you kind of lose your focus there. Yeah. There are people who are going to stay in it uh, no matter what, and they're going to do okay, or yeah. or they're not. But there's still going to be people who have that enthusiasm for it. Yeah. But if I had a hit record now, I'd be really surprised. And it's right. not because I don't think the songs are good. It's right. because the industry looks at me. I just turned 68 years old. The industry oh, yeah. looks at me and goes, this is the musical Methuselah, you know. Mm-hmm. That they're looking for songs from the younger, faster guns. And yeah. I will not complain about this at all because in the 1970s, I was the younger, faster yeah. gun. Right. And right. there may have been a lot of people who didn't like me being there, Older writers who thought maybe they should be on that album and not me, but huh. I don't. Uh, I do not repine about that for one moment because there's a lot of talented kids and they're doing this now, and yeah. I applaud them and I, I'm cheering them on. Right. Uh, and mm. because I want them to have the kind of career that I had. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know whether they can pull that off in the sense of how much they're going to be paid. Right. Whether they can get on an album. No, I, I give a I gave a college lecture a couple of years ago, and one of the students said, "Do you ever think that you'll be on another album that sells 30 million copies?" And I said, mm-hmm. "No, and maybe no one else do." Now I yeah. know that Adele's album is pretty much scheduled to sell that much. Okay. She's been able to keep it off of Spotify, and of course uh, Taylor Swift is selling a a, a, a boatload of records. And yeah. Congratulations yeah. to that. But it, the, those kind of records are going to be just very few and far between. Yeah, people totally. actually go out, want to go out and own that thing and hold it yep. in their hand and read yeah. the liner notes and find out who wrote the songs and whatever. Right. Yeah. Uh, that's a rarity, and I wish it wasn't. I wish we were yeah. back in the the mid '80s or the late '80s or the early '90s when albums were selling like crazy. You know? Me too. But then the internet came along, and we first thought when the internet came along, we're going. This is great. This is going to be a way to deliver the music, right? right. Without you know, people can bring it right into the celestial jukebox, whatever sure. you want to call it, and they could they could download and pay for it. No, yeah. no, it didn't work out yeah. that way. It didn't work out that way. <laughs> no. I know, 
I know. I'm still of that previous generation. That's why I was asking you about the CDs. I, I still prefer to hold it in my hand. I, I'll admit I don't always buy it new. I might buy it used, but I sure. still prefer having the album in my hand and then ripping it to my computer and putting it on my iPod. And forgive me if I don't know this. I, I don't listen to as much. I like old school country music, but I don't listen to modern country. I don't. What has been your biggest success of say like the last ten years? Is there a song that people Not would much. know? No. Okay. I pretty much nothing. Okay. Uh, but. It's not for lack of absolutely trying. Oh, I believe uh, I, that was not my yeah. That was not uh, what I was saying. Let's see. I had my last writing deal uh, up to the time where I was sixty-five years old. Oh. In other words, they were still willing to pay me to write songs uh, with with their fingers crossed, just like mine were. And, yeah. You know, I get a record every now and then, and it's kind of fun when people do. Uh, record the songs, but they're few and far between, like just about everybody else I know that's my age yeah, who did right, it. Right. Some of the best writers in, in Nashville are kind of in the same boat because, well, the best writers of my generation, let's put it that way. Like I say, I don't get annoyed by the whole thing because I still have royalties coming in. It's not, yeah. this is not, uh, uh, and a lot of that has to do because some of my stuff was international. It got right. used in uh, the pop stuff was international this songs like we were talking about got used in movies which are end up to be classic movies sure uh right time and i got used in when harry met sally uh-huh. and in the dawn of the dead i had to find that out through my son really and i watched dawn of the dead and i'm thinking this isn't a bad zombie movie not that, <laughs> yeah. I, was, not that I was into the genre but dawn of the dead sure. is not a bad it's a great movie has a yeah. good cast yeah I didn't realize you were on there. Interesting. No, no, they just used the melody in the mall scene. I think they're they're, ah. trying, to, they're trying to insult me by saying this is mall music. And it's okay. And, but I'm okay hey. with that. You know, sure. uh, my, even my songwriter friends say the right time of the night is elevator music, and I'm good with that. Because yeah. when I'm on an elevator, John, and that song comes on, I stay on the elevator. <laughs> You're king of the until elevator, it, right? Until it's all over, <laughs> until the song is over, no matter what floor I'm going to. You know? I can miss my floor. Oh, that's great. I love it. I love it. I, now you, you watch the people swaying back and forth, and you go, should I, should I tell them? Right. But no, you can't do it. The no. gentleman doesn't. Yeah. I, uh, oh, <laughs> man. Oh, that's can't just, do it. That's you amazing, though. So no, I good. Think it'd be very bad manners to do that. Right. Still, you know in your heart. That's great. Okay. Well, cool. Well, one last question. I got to know about, it sounds like from the bio you sent me that it, I don't know how much of your time is devoted toward fighting for songwriters' rights. Sounds like that's a big issue for you. Well, I used to do a lot more. I did it for 25 years in Washington from the okay. mid-80s. Made a contribution, I think. I really did. Some of the guys from Nashville we used to go up there and really kick butt and try to stop laws that were going to hurt us, and we had a lot of we had a lot of success with that because we had pretty high moral ground. It's right there in the Constitution where uh, authors and inventors shall have the exclusive sure. rights to their work. So we we were able to use that to great effect in Washington. When the internet came along, it became more and more difficult to uh, get anything done because the boy, I don't know how to put this. That we lost uh, the the general public and. Uh, members of Congress used to support us uh-huh. in these things, and we kind of lost them. 
yeah. general public because all of a sudden they don't care much because they're getting their music virtually for free. Right. And the congressmen were, you know, if they get uh, 20,000 emails in one day saying, if you pass this law taking away my free music, I'll right. kill you in the voting booth. You know, they get a little bit, you know, less courageous than I would like sure. to see them yeah. be if they're going yeah. to take their responsibility and, and do this in Congress. Now, a lot of people would look at me and laugh, but i got to tell you, until they uh, change the laws that are 100 years old, the right. songwriters are just not going to get paid a lot. Um, yeah. Until they change the compulsory license. Uh, Prince fought tooth and nail against yeah. the compulsory license. He was he was like a hero because he was a celebrity going up there and and or at least exercising all the influence right. that he could to say these laws have to be changed because they're going to kill the skill. In other yeah. words, if 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 a good songwriter right now can't get paid for what he's doing, yeah. he's not going to do that. No. He's going to go into some other job. And I got to tell right. you this, the songwriters that I've known the guys that I've worked with, who they wrote hits as well. This is a pretty interesting and they're a smart bunch of people. And they, right. I don't know one of them that couldn't have done well in some other profession. Mm -hmm. They chose uh, the songwriting thing because they were apparently as enthusiastic as I was over it. And yeah. they had the gift to do it. And when, if I have to watch gifted people not do it because yeah. of the lack of money that's in it that we used to have, this is a very sad thing. It is so tragic. The general public will probably get the idea maybe 10, 15 years down the road when those gifted people are not writing the songs and when the songs are being written by the lowest bidder. Yeah. At that point, I think they'll go, whatever happened to them? Right. And one right. of the answers will be, they happened to it. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't want to pay for it, so they ripped exactly. it free off the internet. <laughs> it's uh, it's tragic how far it's all fallen, and and it, there's just scraps out there now for people to, you know, too many people to munch on scraps. It's unfortunate. I miss the old days too. Well, I that's the one thing I'll say about missing the old days. And but I was glad I was there and yeah. active when those old days were there. Yeah. You know? I'll call them the good old days if you don't. They sure to. were. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, look, I got one more question for you. Do you have any regrets? Do you? Is there anything about your career when you look back, if it had just, if something had happened differently? I mean, it sounds like you've gone from success to success to success. I'm sure I, there have been uh, downtimes, but what's a regret for you? I really, career-wise, okay. I mean, we all have our regrets in our personal lives and things that we wish we would have mm -hmm. done differently, but. The reason why I have little or no regret about the industry is because in certain things I was lucky. Yeah. One of the real lucky things was to always fall in with the right crowd. Mm. In other words, the people at ABC, 20th Century Fox, Columbia Records, EMI Publishing, which is now Sony, the people that uh, I'm certain they were kind of drawn to me because I had the gift to write the songs. You know, and they they looked at me and they they would probably see dollar signs, right? Right. And, but all of those people that I worked with, and the people that like uh, Clive Davis, who picked Right Time of the Night, and also was responsible for putting me on uh, that Whitney Houston's first album. Uh -huh. uh, uh, Jim Ed Norman, who became head of uh, 
uh, Warner Brothers Records. He produced Right Time of the Night. It was his first hit. It was my first hit. It was mm-hmm. Jennifer's first hit. Joe Galanti, who ran RCA Records here in Nashville, I got to work with those guys and to be able to have them record my songs over the years. I could complain yeah. <laughs> and say, look, uh, you know, I, I, right. I have 250 of my songs have been recorded. Yeah. I could complain and say, boy, I wish that was 300. There right. are some songs that I wish could have been cut and songs that I wish could have been hits. Right. Yeah. But I'd be... I'd be really shouting into a big windstorm because sure. people would look at me and say, "Really? Yeah, complete. You know, you? I had a, yeah. a really good career, and yeah, so yeah. I cannot. Uh, this is uh, complaints, regrets. Heck, there was one yeah. song of mine uh, that I wrote that uh, CBS wanted to put out. Columbia Records wanted to put out. So, and Clive Davis wanted it for air supply. Oh. And uh, so I couldn't give it to Clive. And if I have a regret, that's I probably missed a hit. First you take the dark of the night, then you lace it with a bottle full of moonlight. Mix it with the look in your eyes, chase it with a kiss. Not getting the end title to the vacation movie with Chevy Chase in 1983, yeah. I yeah. could say, "Oh, that's that's a disappointment." However, we got underneath. Sure. Chrissy Chrissy Brinkley. Brinkley. <laughs> you know, and she was it all naked. worked out. Yeah. Naked. You know, so oh, I don't know what else can what yeah. else can I say? You know? Yeah, yeah, it worked <laughs> out. That's great. Oh, I got to ask you about your Christmas album. I forgot all about that. I got to admit, I'm I'm kicking myself right now. About uh, three or four weeks ago, I saw it in a Goodwill. And I almost, <laughs> this was after I had connected up with Janie, and we were. I knew that you and I would be talking, and I thought, "Oh, I should get this because I'm going to talk to Peter." And then I thought, eh, "Christmas albums, you only pull them out once in a while. I'll wait. I'll go listen to it on Spotify." I didn't buy it, and of course it's not on Spotify, no, and it resells for a lot of money. Well, and you I can wish find it on eBay for a couple of bucks, I think. Right, I think it was. I looked, and I think it's like twenty five dollars is uh, what it's fetching used on Amazon. Well, I think you can probably find them used on eBay for probably. Like but probably. at any rate, I, I every once in a while, I uh, uh, since I don't I don't operate on the internet much at all as far as buying uh-huh. things. The mm-hmm. idea of putting my credit card number on the internet gives me the yeah I can the, imagine the creeps yeah and so uh, 
I will get sometimes because I give them away as gifts. The old RCA. Oh. This is uh-huh. Joe Galanti on RCA who let me make a Christmas album when I was pretty much close to fifty years old, yeah. only because he liked my songs. The most of the songs on the Christmas album were recorded by other people, by Catherine oh. Matea, Kenny Rogers, uh, uh, Michael Johnson. Okay. Uh, uh, several people recorded those songs, and so compiling them all was a lot of fun. Uh, Ricky Skaggs cut one of my Christmas songs a couple of years ago. It's called Go Thee Down. Interesting. And that's available. That's available. On, yeah. You can find that on YouTube. Just a lucky bunch of shepherds on a hill Watching over their flocks With the fire against the chill And then the sky opened up With a heavenly light And before them stood an angel With a message in the night Go thee down into the town There's a child there you've really got to see Be not afraid, but be excited. You're the first to be invited. Go thee down into the town. And once you've seen him, go tell everyone you see. He's the one we've waited for. We're not waiting anymore. There's a shepherd born. To show the way to you and me Yeah, he's and that great. was a great treat. Ricky, uh, you know, he's a, the song is definitely not bluegrass, but he was one of my favorite singers. He's, uh, he's he had such a great voice, and boy, did he ever sing the heck out of it. Good. But, uh, you know, I, I, you should have the album, and here's why, if you can get it. The artwork is very beautiful. RCA, it is. I noticed. I, I picked it. I saw that picture is in uh, the National Gallery. The American people oh. own it. It's in the National Gallery of Art. It's a Botticelli, and it's the uh, Adoration of the Magi. Yeah. And he did more than one of those, but that's the one I like the most, and the colors were really brilliant. It's beautiful. And the people, the artwork people at RCA Records did just a fabulous job of reproducing that. Yeah. And the inside cover... Uh, it's it's just they did such a great job on it. I was just very pleased. Oh, good. With, uh, yeah, with, that was with how that worked out. And we we called the we called the National Gallery and we said, hey, look, you know, we're just covering all our bases here. Do we have to pay you a fee if we use this mm-hmm. stuff? And they said, nah, just send us a few of the albums. You know, really? <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. Oh, so nice. At one time they were in the gift shop at the. Uh, because the painting is in the, the uh-huh. National Gallery, they were they were I think they were they got some albums and were selling them in the gift shop at Christmas Perfect. time. I thought Perfect. that was cool. You know? That is cool. Yeah. Right on. Right. Okay. Well, good, Peter. This was so fascinating. It, it, I got way more than I bargained for talking to you. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for talking to me. That's what the police always say to me. They got no. way more than they, you know. All right. There you have it, Peter McCann. Wasn't that fascinating? Would you have ever connected all of those dots? 
That's my favorite part about doing this show is when you find these people that maybe you haven't thought about for a while or maybe you didn't even know, but you were familiar with their song and you find out all the other little things that they've been involved in that have affected your life. I love stuff like that. So thank you, Peter. You were fascinating. And in true Peter fashion, since he wrote so many great songs for other people, I thought we'd close it out with a song that he wrote that was performed in the late 70s by a woman named Leah Kunkel. It's called Step Right Up, by the way. And Leah Kunkel was Mama Cass's younger sister, and she was married to Russ Kunkel, who's like one of the Hall of Fame session musicians. Anyway, I thought that'd be interesting to end with. For the next three weeks, our guests are all going to be People who are known by a single name, so like Cher, Bono, obviously not them, but people who are famous by one name. That's going to be the next three weeks, so tune back in next week. You'll hear from one of those people. Huge thanks to Yan, as always, Yan the Man, for producing the podcast. Thank you, Yan, for everything. Guys, please find us on Facebook. If you like these kinds of stories, subscribe to the podcast. You can write us a review on there. We put out a new episode every Tuesday. You can go back into the archives, listen to the things we've already done. If it doesn't show up in iTunes, go to our webpage at thehustle.podbean.com, and some of the older episodes are on there. You can find us on Facebook. You can like our page. You can stay in contact with me that way. If you think of anyone that you would like me to talk to that you haven't heard from for a really long time, send me a message on Facebook and let me know who that person is. Or you can email me at thehustlepod at gmail.com or you can tweet me at thehustlepod. At thehustlepod. All right, thanks everybody. We'll talk to you next week.